0: Hey everybody and welcome back. My name is Bill Gaida from Bull Flag Group. Uh, today's episode is gonna be super interesting. So today we have Bill Barhide from Abra, okay? Abra is an app um, that's used for purchasing Bitcoin. It's used for purchasing a wide variety of other alts. So you can purchase up to 29 other alts with fiat. You can connect your bank just like Coinbase. Um, I'm telling you, this project is super fascinating. What they're trying to do and what they're going to achieve over the next few years is going to rival projects like Bittrex and Bitcoin. Um, They really listen to their customers. The UX is super, super easy. So he describes it as uh, something that he wants to basically create a worldwide Venmo. Okay, so this is gonna be used for fiat transfers. This is gonna be used for crypto and eventually what he wants to get to is trading equities with Bitcoin. So uh, this guy's pedigree is amazing. Bill spent some time with the CIA. He spent some time with Goldman Sachs. Um, Really awesome background for crypto. He's one of the original cypherpunk movement guys. Um, Super fascinating interview. He's got some great intel on 2020. He really thinks that cryptocurrency is going to be something that takes over over the next few years. So please enjoy this interview, Uh, sit back, take some notes, and uh, I hope you enjoy this content. So again, for our viewers and listeners, um, what we're gonna be doing in this series is highlighting projects and individuals who are contributing to the cryptocurrency space, even during this uh, pretty horrific bear market so i have here bill Barheight. uh he is from abra and abra is a competitor to some of the us-based exchanges it's a service that's available on the mobile device and you can purchase cryptocurrencies and you can do a lot of other different things on there um personally i played around with the platform i'm a huge fan because it's mobile okay we we highlight that here on our podcast series, um, everything's got to be mobile, and it's one of the biggest things that's going to help the frictionless growth of the cryptocurrency space so just from that standpoint, Bill, I love it so why don't you jump into your yeah. background a little bit and then we can get into the project itself
1: yeah and let's come back to that mobile point because I've got some stats for you that I've heard that are that'll just blow your mind but um so yeah i've been I've been in the crypto cryptography space uh, for almost 30 years. I've kind of parlayed that into uh, banking and payments and now mobile banking and mobile payments to your point because it's all kind of come together uh, over the last 10 years in particular and started Abra uh, effectively a a, a cryptocurrency uh, wallet and exchange platform about three years ago. And uh, I just love this space. I love that. It's, it, my, my vision has always been in, in sync with the original Cypherpunk model from when I was a kid. And, and, and I grew up with that. And when I was at Netscape and we worked on you know SSL and HTTPS, mm-hmm. early kind of crypto aspects of, of the Internet, uh, nobody really paid that much attention. And now it just feels like the world is catching up to what I've been passionate about for, for decades. And it's just so much fun.
0: That's great, that's great, so you mentioned a couple things there. Um, do you want to give us a little bit more background on your professional background and you know how that helped you become the person that you are in the cryptocurrency space and helped you kind of uh, develop such a great product
1: yeah so so I think that um let me let me relay that to what I've been doing uh, basically, I think I feel like um you know, it, it, there's, there's this, this, this universal tide that's lead, led me to ABRA, right? I've had these different jobs over the years working in cryptography, as I mentioned. I was a cryptographer at the CIA, worked on messaging systems there in the late 80s, even during the Soviet Union era, um, and then in Netscape. Uh, but I also worked as a quant and in, in doing various um, systems at, at, at Goldman Sachs uh, in, in, in what they call fixed income, which is mostly known as bond trading. But we were doing some more sophisticated stuff. And then later on, um, in post, uh, post Netscape, I did a lot of work in mobile apps. I actually ran a gaming company with a wallet platform attached, which believe it or not was instrumental in understanding how to build Abra. Uh, and, and did some work in, in developing markets and mobile banking. And Abra literally brings all of those experiences together in a way that I know that I could not have built this company correctly if I hadn't done all of those different things. Now in hindsight, I, I had no idea I think Steve Jobs has a famous quote which says, you can only connect the dots by looking back. And, and when I connect my own dots, I just, I'm, I'm always amazed that somehow it's, it's managed to get me here uh, based on things that at the time seemed to have nothing to do with each other except they were passionate, uh, uh, or, or I was passionate about them, I guess I'd say. Uh, and, and so um, while Abra is way bigger than me, thank God, um, it, it it is a result of the fact that I was really fortunate enough to be able to do those, those things, which kind of converged into this really unique,
0: uh, unique model. That's great. So, you know, it, it seems to me, you've got the perfect pedigree kind of to build this platform. And, uh, you mentioned a couple, couple high level, um, agencies as well as, uh, professional, uh, money managers in your background. So, um, I think that's something that is lacking in the cryptocurrency space. Um, personally, um, I, I, I see the space maturing um, and I see people from the more traditional background kind of emerging, the, um, uh, embracing this digital asset class. So I think that, you know, you have a great background with the cypherpunk movement and you understand the, the background of that but you also have the, the pedigree professionally to kind of uh, take it to the next level. So that's kind of what a lot of people are missing, I see.
1: So I, I appreciate that comment, but I also think that innovation requires both perspectives. So, so look at like Square, right? The, 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 the started out as that payment dongle that Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, started. Jack Dorsey knew nothing about payments. He didn't know a damn thing. And I would claim that it was partially because he wasn't encumbered by all of the things that people who work in payments will tell you that you can't do, that he was able to get that to work. Now, that having been said, if you look at Square today, he's got a lot of people surrounding him that have a lot of experience in payments before mm-hmm. Square, right? And, and so I think innovation, to some degree, requires both perspectives. And you know, even though I'm in my 50s, I try to, I try to bring that perspective of, hey, just because everybody else says it can't be done, right? And I also have a lot of experience and therefore I should be in the camp of telling you what you can't do. I try to have the other perspective a lot, which is, okay, let's figure out how to do it, even though everybody's telling us we can't.
0: Um, And that's that's a great point.
1: Anyway, it's sorry for the tangent, but I think, I think it's a, it's healthy to have both perspectives. Um, Yeah,
0: that's a really great point. I think you make a excellent point there. Um, So why don't we dive right into, you know, the platform itself, what it is, uh, give us the breakdown, the 101 on, on uh, Abra.
1: Sure. Let me give you two different perspectives on Abra. First is from a simple retail consumer marketing perspective, what is the app? What does the network do? And then I'll explain for the people who are really interested in the crypto side, what's really going on behind the scenes, which I think is equally interesting, potentially to a different subset of your, your audience. So from a consumer facing perspective, Abra is very simply a place to buy, sell, trade and exchange. Uh, fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies. There are 80 assets in the app, um, 50 uh, uh, fiat currencies, 29 cryptocurrencies, and one what we call index token. Index token is kind of like an ETF, but for cryptocurrencies. uh, And Abra has a very unique uh, what we call index token that allows you to get exposure to the most of the crypto market with one purchase. Okay, And so inside the app, you can buy Bitcoin, buy Ether, by exposure to Ripple, you can take your Ripple and convert it to Mexican pesos, you can convert your Mexican pesos to euros, you can convert your euros to Zcash. Um, the um, app allows you to deposit Bitcoin, Litecoin, um, Bitcoin Cash, and, 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 uh, and very soon Ether uh, natively as well, and then use that as the basis for converting, or you can simply use your bank accounts, deposit uh, cash into the app, and then convert that cash into any of the cryptocurrencies or any of the other fiat currencies. Um, so people use Abra from anything from uh, Ripple is very popular. It's a simple way for retail investors to buy exposure to Ether, Ripple, Monero, a lot of uh, you know alternative currencies. We even have people who use Abra to um, get exposure on the Forex side. So people in uh, Venezuela who have crypto who want to store money in dollars can put the Bitcoin easily into the Abra app, store it as dollars with no KYC required. Right, because we're not actually holding those funds. And I'll explain how that, how that works in a second. But a lot of international users use Appr not just for crypto um, investing, but also for traditional Forex um, storage and investing as well, especially when they're in a highly volatile currency market like, like the Argentinas, Venezuela, is, Nigeria is of, the, of the world. And over time, our goal is to add more assets to the app. Uh, I can't say too much about that, but what you'll see over the next few months is that the Abra app will expand to include multiple asset classes beyond just uh, fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies, but all using the same platform um, in the background. So that's the consumer piece, very simple, very straightforward. Now in the background, what Abra's built is really special, okay? So the app basically uses a technology that we call a synthetic asset model. Synthetic asset is similar to a stable coin, not exactly the same thing. Stable coin usually means or implies, not always, but usually means I've got a dollar in a bank and I've got a cryptocurrency representing that dollar in the bank and I can move the cryptocurrency around and keep the dollar in place, right? That's that's what a uh, uh, tether does or, you know, the new uh, Paxil uh, token, a uh, uh, Paxil token does, it's circles token, et cetera, et cetera. They all basically use some form of smart contract to represent a dollar in a bank. Abra does something a little bit different. We basically use this synthetic asset model to be able to store investment exposure to any asset in the world directly on a smartphone. Now, that's a very confusing topic to most people, and you don't need to understand that to use Abra, right? Abra was architected to be very consumer-friendly, simple experience. Just like when you swipe a credit card, you don't know... That There's actually 19 steps going on behind the scenes. And if you had to understand that nobody would swipe a credit card
0: okay, Exactly. So, yeah,
1: So you can put that the fact that it's easy from a consumer Perspective aside and talk about the synthetic asset model. Like I said, the synthetic asset model uses Bitcoin and Bitcoin multi-signature based smart contracts to effectively create synthetic assets Now let me explain. Let, let me peel away the the layers on that and explain what it means. Okay Let's say you want to store $1,000 on a smartphone. I mean physically on a smartphone. I don't mean like when you log into your bank and you see the balance with the money stored somewhere else. I mean get the money in the phone. That's an illogical concept for most people. You can't put the money in the phone. Okay? Well, the, truth, the reality is with Bitcoin, you can. Now, let me explain how. So if I owed you $1,000 and you have the Abra app or any other crypto app, I could actually send you instead of Venmo or Paypaling a thousand dollars to you. I could actually send a thousand dollars of Bitcoin, worth of Bitcoin, to your Bitcoin app. And if you're holding the key on the phone, like in the case of Abra or Jax or some of these other kind of uh, non-custodial wallets, right? Then um, you know, then you basically can say, "I'm holding the money." Now, the problem with that example is, well, what if the price of Bitcoin plummets 10 minutes after I sent you the $1,000 worth of Bitcoin? You may be holding $700 worth of Bitcoin now. That's not what you signed up for. You signed up for getting $1,000. So what if I could figure out a way to dynamically adjust the amount of Bitcoin you're holding so that if the price of Bitcoin falls, you're actually going to get more Bitcoin, so that it stays worth $1,000. But if the price of Bitcoin goes up, you're going to lose Bitcoin so that it stays worth $1,000. Because in this example, all we've said is you care about getting $1,000. You don't care about the underlying price of Bitcoin in that particular example, right? That's what Abra does using Bitcoin-based smart contracts. So if you're holding Monero, you're actually using Bitcoin to get investment exposure to Monero in the Abra app. If the price of Monero goes up, you get more Bitcoin. If the price of Monero goes down, you actually lose Bitcoin, right? If you're holding a Mexican peso in the Abra app, it does exactly the same thing. You're holding those pesos using that synthetic asset model. Again, our consumers, the vast majority of our con- our users have no idea what I just said. They don't have to know. But we have a lot of users who think this is super cool and believe that this is the future of banking as I do. Uh, um, if you think about it, Abra can now create a synthetic version of any liquid asset on the planet, more or less at will. And that's why I mentioned earlier that we're going to be adding more asset classes to the app over time, because this basically becomes a, an investment vehicle that's totally legal for the first time in 200 countries. Right? Abra has users all over the world, and we don't know who they are in many cases, because they're just depositing Bitcoin into their app. And using that bitcoin as the basis to invest in other assets right why couldn't i do that with stocks or bonds or treasuries or who, even real estate or rights eventually right and, and so all based upon bitcoin now this is something that i'm going to talk about at the uh, north american bitcoin conference next week as to why i think bitcoin is headed to a trillion dollars if all of those assets that I just mentioned are effectively collateralized using Bitcoin, right? That Bitcoin has to come from somewhere. So let's say that 100 million people all of a sudden start using apps, not just from Abra, we don't have a monopoly on this, not just from Abra, but from other players, basically start using a model based upon Bitcoin to invest in stocks and bonds, uh, money market accounts, such that you're not really buying the stock, but you're collateralizing investment exposure to the stock using Bitcoin. Okay, if, if we do collectively across 100 million people, which is, you know, a fraction of the planet, half a trillion dollars worth of collateralized investments, most consumers won't even know that that's happening. To them, it'll just look like they own Apple shares or Monero or Mexican pesos. But there's not enough Bitcoin on planet Earth right now to collateralize all those assets. So what has to happen to Bitcoin in order for there to be enough Bitcoin to collateralize that assets? We can't inflate Bitcoin, thank God, right? Because the, the, the rate at which it's created is fixed. So only one thing can happen. The price has to explode. So if we're right about what we're doing, whether or not endowments by Bitcoin is irrelevant, Because as consumers in the background start to use Bitcoin as kind of like TCP IP for money, if that makes sense for your techies, the price has to explode because there's simply not enough of those TCP packets to create the investments, if you understand my analogy. Right? So so that's why I'm so bullish on Bitcoin, because one, it's uniquely qualified to solve this problem of giving people investment exposure to lots of different assets using this multi-signature smart contract technology, again, in a way that the consumer doesn't have to understand. Consumer doesn't know what a repo is, but repo markets drive a big chunk of the economy, right? I'm saying that Bitcoin is going to drive a big chunk of the investment economy, particularly in developing markets where people don't have Fidelity and E-Trade and stuff like that, without even knowing that they're using it. And that, by definition, is going to drive the price higher because the liquidity of those markets is going to demand that millions of people have access to Bitcoin. And not just for the scraps, right? People investing in crypto today are excited about it, but that's really the scraps of investing because it gets anywhere from one to 10% of somebody's funds. I'm talking about the majority of people's investment funds. I'm saying the 80% of your money that you want to put into an investment Right? in stocks and bonds or money market accounts, is actually going to, in many cases, be based on Bitcoin. You just won't know it as a consumer because that Bitcoin is going to be used to give you investment exposure to the you know, S&P 500 spiders or a uh, money market account in dollars or euros using this synthetic asset model that I'm describing. And if, and if I'm right in any way on that, there is simply not enough Bitcoin out there to enable that. And therefore, the price has to explode, and and so that's one of the reasons I'm so I'm so bullish on this model. Sorry for the long explanation, but hopefully, hopefully that makes sense.
0: That was a lot to digest. Um, that that was great. You hit on a, a multitude of of fantastic points there. Um, I totally agree, and I'm going to mention a, a competitor there. I think what Coinbase did, and you mentioned it a couple times, was. Allowing for a very user-friendly experience without even knowing what's going on in the background. And that's what you guys are doing even more. So you mentioned a couple other things there. Who else is is kind of embracing what you're doing? There's, there's got to be other people out there um trying to tackle this problem of using basically bitcoin as a settlement is that kind of what you're getting at
1: it's it's more like collateralized contracts or swaps but i think that um in the bitcoin world i'm not aware of anyone um taking this approach in in the ethereum world i think the 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 MakerDAO folks that make Dai, i think it's there's some similarities to what they're doing they're effectively using crypto assets to collateralize the value of, of the die to, to, to basically create a stable, a stable asset or a stable coin. Um, they're doing it in a different way than Abra. It's, more, it's, it's actually more complex than Abra, believe it or not. Um, but that's probably the closest concept that I've seen. Um, but I think that Abra's ambitions to use cryptocurrencies as the basis or backbone of a new type of banking system, which is effectively what I was describing earlier, Uh, is totally unique. I have not seen another company um, try to do what we're doing. And to be honest, it's just really complex. I mean, we've raised tens of millions of dollars in venture capital. We have 55 people, most in engineering, hacking away to build, um, you know, smart contract systems, Android and and, and iOS user experiences. Um, You know, we have a trading operation to manage our risk exposure on those contracts to make sure that our customers are never at risk of losing money. And, and so it's not for the faint of heart. And, and so as a result, I think that even people who do understand what we're doing know that they couldn't replicate it easily.
0: That's great. I mean, this, this, is, this seems to be the basically next level stuff. Um, that, you know, we see exchanges, we see great mobile applications for holding and buying and selling crypto. You guys are going above and beyond. This, this to me is absolutely fascinating. And uh, are you scared of people kind of jumping on board or uh, what, what's your thought?
1: I mean, I'm scared of people not jumping on board. I mean, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of, of users and I'm, ex- I'm thrilled about that. I mean, we're starting to generate revenue to create a self-sustaining business, which is important too. Um, and, and we can't have our investors just subsidizing our business forever. But but I'm, I mean we need this to become a mainstream phenomenon, without people having to understand all of the complexities of of what's going on behind the scenes, right? I mean people don't understand how complex Facebook systems are, right? And they don't they don't care, right? So so and that's that's good. Uh, I, I would say for the internet that that's we've we've evolved to that point for the average kind of you know consumer, and and banking via crypto will evolve to that point over the next decade as well. I mean, we're only one decade into this, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're probably four decades in from a consumer internet perspective. Right. So, so it's, it's a different, uh, it's a different, um, kind of timeline, but I think the parallel is, is that the next decade is really going to be about the, the first set of services, particularly financial services that make Bitcoin and Ethereum in particular really useful really useful, and, and in most cases in a way that the average user doesn't know they're using them. I think that's almost the requirement for them to become useful, will be, it's just like saying, my favorite analogy is, is uh, for computer scientists, you know, if you use Netflix or Facebook, you don't have to know what a TCP IP socket is mm-hmm. you're using that. Now, if you had to know what that is, you wouldn't use Netflix, that would be crazy. And I think that financial services via cryptocurrencies is the same thing. Once people are using financial services via crypto but don't know that the crypto is there,
0: then it will most likely be be useful. Um I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh I, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Um people people aren't interested in um I learning how the, the different wallet addresses work. I think if, it, you know, the days of, of sending wallet to wallet transactions are going to end, I think it's gonna be by email address, I think it's gonna be by unique username. There has to be a more user friendly way. And yeah. in addition to that, I think, you know, the idea of losing your entire investment by one typo is something that's gonna be seen 10 years from now is just ludicrous, so.
1: Yeah. Key yeah. management is another one of those things. I mean, you know, even in the Abra model, we're, we're doing an okay job of hiding the complexity of things like key management, but even there, we can't eliminate it completely yet. We haven't figured out how. I would love to because Abra is a non-custodial app, and in English, that means you're managing your own keys, and and so I can only go so far legally in terms of, of helping you do that. If I take your keys, it's no longer a, a, a non-custodial app, and I'm effectively the equivalent of a bank, right? And that's a problem legally. That's actually the problem that Abra was trying to solve. How do I offer these services and not become a bank, right? And, but that creates user experience issues that unfortunately are still complex. Now, fortunately, we've never had a user lose any significant amount of money by losing their keys or their backup phrase. But look, it, it, it's inevitable. That at some point, somebody may lose a little bit of money. Just like if you have 75 million Uber drivers uh, in 150 countries, at some point, some driver is going to do something bad. Mathematically, it's not possible that that doesn't happen. Just like mathematically, if we have millions of users all managing their keys with backup phrases, at some point, somebody is going to lose the key and the backup phrase. We don't want that to happen. We're going to great lengths to keep that from happening. But we don't know how to eliminate the problem completely. Anyway, sorry to, sorry to, to rant on that, but, but my point is is that there's still a lot of complexity in the user experience that we have to address to completely mask the existence of crypto in a lot of these applications that I'm very passionate that has to be solved in order to take this to the next level.
0: Uh, rants are always okay here. That's I feel like uh, we're getting a lot of important information here, so please. Uh, this is your opportunity to kind of inform us. Um, I, I do definitely want to hit um the tokens and coins that you're offering. Um yeah. and the philosophy behind the ones that you allow on the platform. Can you comment on that?
1: Sure. So there are 30 um cryptocurrencies. I'm I'm opening up the app right now. I mean, the ones that are popular for us, obviously Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin. Uh, Ripple is particularly popular, um, the key here, pardon the pun, is that we offer the assets that are most liquid in the marketplace and that's a requirement for us because of how our systems work in the background. It's very hard for us to offer illiquid assets uh, and, and really if we, we track hundreds of cryptocurrencies with ERC-20 ICO tokens, uh, straight up cryptocurrencies. Um, some potentially that would be that might be considered security tokens, none of which we offer in the app today. And we track those assets for uh, global trading volume, uh, trading spread, um, you know, daily trading volume, market cap, uh, and a bunch of other factors to determine what really meets viable liquidity requirements to say that something um, is is also viable for our retail consumer. Right. And, and so that's why there are 30 assets. 30 is not a magic number for us. If there were 75 that met those requirements, we would launch 75. So we effectively found, I believe, 29 cryptocurrencies that meet those requirements. And then we created one, which is this index token, um, which is basically a mashup of uh, the top 10 cryptocurrencies by market cap, kind of like an ETF. And so there's no more magic than that. We get people coming to us all the time saying, hey, can I pay you to list my uh, ICO uh, token uh, in the app? We won't do that because again, it, it simply has to meet the liquidity requirements. Um, and, and so we would love to have more assets on the crypto side in there, uh, but they're simply not liquid enough yet. And then that's the answer to your question.
0: So just for users who have no idea about the platform, this is, you're able to connect your bank account. Correct. And you're able to basically buy altcoins.
1: Correct. with so can,
0: with also Bitcoin, et cetera.
1: Correct. So so the platform supports everything from Zero X, Augur, BAT, which is the basic attention token, Bitcoin, Cardano, uh, Digibyte, Ethereum, EO, Slidecoin, Monero, OMISGO, Stratus, Tron, Verge, uh, XRP, which is Ripple, uh, Zcash, et cetera, et cetera, and there's more. Uh, along with 50 fiat currencies, and you can simply hold any of them, buy any of them, or exchange between any of them with more or less one button push in the app, either by depositing money from your bank accounts or depositing cryptocurrencies you already have into the app, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, and and, and soon Ether, and exchanging them for the other assets as well. It's that simple.
0: That's fantastic. the idea that I always strive for the idea of, of uh, fiat to altcoin is going to be super key for a lot of these um, projects to become successful. Now, you mentioned uh, international users here. Can you describe um, who domestically in the US is allowed to use Abra and then who, who else outside of the US is allowed?
1: Yeah, so we have users in over 100 countries. There's no restrictions on who can use Avra outside of you know U.S. government-sanctioned territories like Iran and North Korea and Crimea and places like that. But other than that, um, there's no restrictions. We have users in China. We have users in Africa and India and Mexico. There's no restrictions. And so um, in the U.S., um, about half our users deposit money via their bank. Uh, half our users deposit money via crypto. In Europe, it's the same thing. Um, in a lot of other countries where we don't yet support bank deposits like China, uh, those users have to deposit Bitcoin. So it's very common for somebody in China now to buy Bitcoin via an OTC desk and then deposit that Bitcoin into the Abra app, either store it as Bitcoin or use it as the basis for investing in other altcoins. It's a, it's a very simple thing to do with Abra. Um, and we have people all over the world um, uh, you know, that, that do that. It's a fantastic way to use Abra. I actually predict that what you'll see over the next year with Abra is that people will not only be buying altcoins via Bitcoin, they'll actually be buying stocks and bonds and other assets via Bitcoin, which is pretty damn cool. That's, that's uh, incredible, yeah. And so uh, I'm not supposed to be saying that, by the way, but, but <laughs> that's my prediction. Um, and, and so um, to your point about international, I think Abra is fantastic for the U.S. user. We actually have retirees in their 70s using Abra. A lot of investment newsletters that, that uh, tell people to put 5% of your income into crypto actually recommend Abra as the way to do it because to your point, it's so easy to use. Um, but I think the international opportunity for us is equally interesting um, because not only are we going to be making crypto available, we're going to be using those smart contracts to give people investment exposure to almost any asset eventually.
0: That's great this, this I'm super excited about this project and and uh, the, the people that we talk to as well are always saying how user friendly it is so i just logged on and I, I'm you know I, I can't believe it it's it's if you can use um, Venmo, you can use this that's what yeah. I like to tell people
1: yeah and, and, and to that point, we actually have people who use Appra for money transfer as well yeah so, they can
0: do that why not
1: yeah I mean there's a send money uh, function in there and you can literally send Bitcoin from your Abra app, which can be received as Mexican pesos in somebody's Abra app. We have a lot of Filipino users who use the money to do money transfer between the U.S. and the Philippines. And then they or send they actually have people who send money to themselves because they have bank accounts in both countries. They'll deposit the money in the U.S. and immediately withdraw it to their bank account in the Philippines. And they basically just did a
0: free bank wire. Yep. Makes sense. And yeah. that, that's the direction that we're going.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, Abra was really created to be the future of banking. And and the first two killer apps are investing, which is what we're talking about, and, and money transfer. And you'll see us get into things like credit and being able to borrow against your positions and things like that later. I don't want to confuse the discussion, but but those are all things that lead towards having a kind of a global banking service. I created Abra because I wanted to have that, that global Venmo app that in a single app, simple app, down, download it from the app store, I can invest in anything, uh, I can uh, send money to anyone, I can borrow instantly anywhere in the world, just from a single app. And it's amazing, 10 years after the creation of the iPhone, that there isn't one single app that functions in every country that can do that, the way Facebook or you know, WhatsApp or you know, social media apps work in every country. We don't have that banking app that does the same thing. A lot of that is legal reasons. And that's one of the beauties of cryptocurrencies. You get we, in, in the business we call legal arbitrage, mm-hmm. uh, the trustless nature of crypto. Um, but for whatever reason, we don't have it. And Avery's goal
0: is to create. it. That's, that's a great way of putting it. It's a global Venmo. And it's so much more than that. Um, I have three things I definitely want to hit. For the users who are concerned about forks, airdrops and also staking. Is this something that you are looking to implement? Is this something that you support currently? I know that you're in control of your own keys, so can you explain your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so, so the, um, the staking is specific to cryptocurrencies that support that model. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not that far along with those cryptos yet, and, and as the market evolves, it will basically be a function of the liquidity um, issues that I mentioned earlier. So if we're doing something, you know, with EOS or other uh, assets natively that requires that, we would do it in the app. We haven't had those requirements yet, and those assets aren't far enough along. On the forking side, that's something that we have to deal with every day. So, um, you know, we uh, we dealt with the um, hard forks last year w- with Bitcoin Cash, and then we dealt with, you know, uh, SV versus ABC and, and and all that nonsense, and and so... Um, generally in terms of supporting the forked currency, um, it's very much a judgment call based upon the liquidity of the new currency, right? So in the case of SV, it's not liquid. We don't trust it. We're not supporting it. Uh, Now if that changes, it's fine. It's just another asset to us, another crypto asset, right? Just along the list of the other 30 that I mentioned before. But just because a couple of students over a weekend fork a code base to create a new currency I'm not going to put 20 engineers on it if the public doesn't care or want it or understand what the hell it is. So uh, I think there's a little bit of a a misunderstanding that these forks are free money. They are not. (laughs) Uh, Everything has a cost. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we look very carefully at this. Um, We also try to educate. Right. If you look at our blog site, if you go to Abra.com and click on blog, or I think you can just go to Abra.blog, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time talking about this because you know, a lot of our, like I mentioned, our senior citizen investors, they don't know what a fork is. What the F is a fork? Yep. A fork, what fork I eat my spaghetti with, right? So, so you know, what am I supposed to do with that? And, and so explaining to people the idea that you can take money, which is being inflated at a very small rate, and, and, and therefore the pie is getting bigger, and all of a sudden create a parallel pie out of nothing, it, it, it's, it's not a logical concept to uh, people who aren't in the middle of the tech. And so we have to educate. Um, we also have to explain to them that, hey, this the, the new pie that was magically created, it's so small, it's not worth our time, right? Uh, and and so, uh, but it's also, the, the, the parallel problem is, the people in the tech world, the developers who are passionate about their forked currency, kind of swarm on us and say, well, oh, you need to add our token. Uh, or we'll pay you to add our token, and we're saying, well, it doesn't work that way, right? You know, w- there's, there's hundreds of assets out there that we could be adding to the app. You just created one over the weekend. It's, it's, it's not going to work, it's, it's, or it's not going to happen in the time frame you think it's going to happen in. Um, and anyway, so forks is a, is a very complex, unfortunate topic um, that doesn't always add the value that people think it does and I represent the free money that some people think it does. <laughs> Um, what was the third one uh, you mentioned? Forks, uh, airdrops. Airdrops. So airdrops is um, you know we that that kind of falls falls along the lines of kind of like ICOs and STOs and that's not something that we support natively yet. Now we are going to be turning on native Ether support um, in the coming days. We're testing it now um, internally, and at that point, um, all the pieces for Abra to support native ERC twenty tokens will be there. We won't allow, uh, we, we won't support arbitrarily exchanging inside the app, um, you know, Bitcoin for for any ICO token, because those most of those ICO tokens aren't liquid. But you will eventually, in the coming weeks, be able to store your ERC20 tokens in the app, all right? So if somebody uh, has a, a new contract, uh, ERC20 contract, which is an ICO token that they want to airdrop, in theory, they could do that with Abra by just you know, defining the rules around it, the contract address and kind of like the way MetaMask works um, in, in the Ethereum world uh, with a much simpler user experience. That's the good thing about Abra. So there won't be kind of a, an official airdrop function inside the Abra app, but you could very easily then if you've already created your ICO token, do the airdrop via the Abra app in the coming weeks. I, I, I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but that's the answer to your question. So we'll see what happens.
0: No, makes sense, makes sense. Um you, you gave a clear answer. So that's uh, most people can't do that. So right. um, it, uh, one specific question on EOS um, obviously there's voting for block producers yeah. and that's one of the, th- the problems that they've been having. And there's a big internal debate whether uh, you know, w- whether it's collusion between block producers or it's just lack of activity on the, the, the platform and people not knowing how to vote. Is that something that you look to embrace as EOS, if it does become more and more popular?
1: Well, I think it's a catch-22 because as EOS becomes more popular, this becomes less of an issue because the system becomes more decentralized. And, and I think that's, you have the same issue with stake, proof of stake, proof of work. Uh, the, the more users, the more decentralized, hopefully. You're seeing it now with Bitcoin. Right, I mean, Bitmain's dominance is being diluted, and that's fantastic for Bitcoin. I don't have anything against Bitmain. I think it's, I think it's great that they were so built, you know, that they added so much to the ecosystem in the early days. Absolutely. but I do think it's great, even greater that there's more companies taking hash power away to create a more decentralized system. And I think the analogous thing will happen in the the, the staking world over time, which will eliminate those issues. I mean, I think, and I've spent time with the Block One team, and I, I really am bullish on the, the potential. For EOS over time, um, but it's so early. It's so, so early. It's 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 a, it's an early stage development platform and people need to be realistic about where it is in its life cycle. Um, it's a concept that didn't exist two years ago or, or, or was probably on a napkin two years ago. And now we're sitting here talking about, you know, is it the future of whatever, right? And so I think given that Bitcoin is 10 years old, you know, Ether is what, four years old, we need to be realistic about how long it's going to take for those iterative technologies to become mainstream and w- where those issues that you're mentioning um, go away because it really becomes a truly decentralized system. It's, I, would, I would posit that EOS is not a truly decentralized system right now. It's an early stage development platform that will become, if it's successful, a decentralized network. And to me, a decentralized network generally means that a 51% attack is untenable
0: Mm -hmm.
1: for for whatever reason, whether it's a mistaking model or proof of work model or whatever. That's probably the simplest kind of techie definition in my mind. I know, I know a lot of the purists um, don't like that, but, but that's how I look at it. And at that point, you know, then what you're talking about is kind of a non-issue.
0: Yeah. And to, to your point too, about the, the timeframes, one of the things that I always think about is the fact that, you know, what we are investing in uh, with these token projects and with these platforms, they are essentially startups. And I mean, that's what they are. And I think we need to be as investors and as entrepreneurs in the space, more realistic with our expectations with the projects. Um, It's, it's, you know, the idea that they're going to do an ICO, they're going to have a test net in six months, and then they're going to have a main net with, 50,000, uh, users on board within the next eight months. That's totally unrealistic. Um, nobody's using this tech right now. That's just the reality. Um, because it's not user friendly enough. The, the on ramps are not there and the technology is not built out yet. Um, but with that being said, somebody's going to do it. And I believe it's only a matter of time, but we have to be realistic. I think if you're looking for, Things to be perfect in the next eighteen months to two years, you're you're dead wrong. I think it's going to be three to five.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know the time frame, but that makes sense. What you're saying, and I, I, the, the the certainly the overriding point you're making makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we've seen uh, uh, definitely in the community, you see a lot of frustration with some of these projects that delay their main net or they, you know, move, you know, six months out. That's that's the startup world. That's what happens. And people aren't, aren't used to that.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So the other question that I have and especially us users, um, tax guidance. I know that there's some people that are, I know personally are hesitant to even enter the space because they don't understand the taxation. They don't understand what, what counts as a buy, what counts as a sell, the timing, um, is Abra embracing that? Is there some forms that they can use? Is there some technology that you guys are trying to implement?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, um, and it's something we, we deal with a lot. I mean, we're in the early days of, first of all, we have customers in 100 countries. So let me take a step back and say, you know, your, your question is a little bit US-centric in the way you asked it, but, but we also have to deal with this from a global perspective. So, so what we did last year, which was our first year of being kind of live generating revenue, is we, we made it very easy, um, either via email or directly in the app, to basically get a transaction history to be able to generate your own, uh, you know, capital gains, um, you know, summary for your um, for your 1099s, and and that's a first step. Part of the challenge is, is if you're depositing Bitcoin, and then you're selling Monero and made money in the Monero, I don't know what you paid for that Bitcoin, and and so because you didn't buy it inside the Abra app, so I have no right. cost. So I can't generate a 1099 on the bitcoin itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So so the tax conversation really has to be isolated to the buys and sells you do inside of Abra and 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 I can't basically know about the history of that asset that got into the Abra app. And and that's a challenge for our users because in some cases they have to know that, but it's not it didn't happen inside of Abra, right? And and that's true for any exchange. I mean, everybody has
0: Absolutely. To. Yeah.
1: So, so over time, and, and we're working on this this year, and, and and you know each year I think we'll get better at this. Um, now I'll give you the U.S. answer. Um, we are looking at ways to make make it easier to generate those 1099s and you know tax reports and and, and equivalents. Um, I think this year will be a little bit better than last year, and next year will hopefully be even better than this year. And you know we'll get better as we go. Um, and we can also get user feedback on how to make it easier. Uh, everybody's got a little bit of a different set of perspectives or requirements on this um, it's a very complex topic and but we do spend a lot of time
0: on it um, and um, you know I think we'll get better at it over time great great um, so another question that I always like to ask the exchanges and services how do you guys make money and uh, it, why don't you break that down for us
1: yeah we're a little bit different because we're not an exchange we don't run an order book mm-hmm you're basically doing what we call spot trades which is like uh, it's kind of like when you go up to the counter at the airport and travel X and you convert your dollars to euros or your euros back to dollars when you get home Um, you're basically accepting a, a spot price from travel X and built into that spot price is a spread between the market spot price right that they buy and sell at and the price that you paid or bought at right when you're when you're buying or selling your currency and the difference is their revenue right and Abra works the same way. So if you use your Bitcoin to buy Zcash or Ripple or XRP, uh, inherent in that transaction is a spot price. And Abra is generally making a, a spread fee on that transaction. is kind of like a convenience uh, spread, if you will. There's no transaction fees in the system, unlike an exchange. 100% of our revenue is based upon what we call Forex spreads between any of the assets that you uh, transact in inside of our app. Got it. Got it. So... And we try to keep those obviously as low as possible. Um, one, to make a, simply a fair, fair revenue, and two, to offset our risk on the contracts that we're underwriting to give you that investment exposure.
0: So in terms of um, projects that you would like to add to the platform, can you get into any of that? Um, is there due diligence standards or red flags that you look for that kind of, Separate the projects that you will allow versus the ones that you say they're not ready yet.
1: Yeah, we're we're very consumer centric Right. We're very customer centric here. So we do a lot of user surveys. We talk to a lot of customers We, we try to figure out the timing of what we want to offer. We don't want to be too early um, And but yet we want to create a first-mover advantage right in certain in certain cases to basically get out ahead of big opportunities and so Um, like I said, um, we're looking at multiple asset classes inside the app using the smart contract platform. Uh, we're looking at lending, uh, for the future to be able to borrow against assets inside the app. Um, you know, I I mentioned money transfer. So there's some things over the next few years that we want to build out to create that kind of crypto based banking platform. That's very consumer friendly, but we need to be careful that we're not doing things too quickly. I think in general, as if you put your venture capital hat on. What, been, what VCs who are successful will tell you is great teams are important and yes, you're investing in people, but it ultimately comes down to the timing of what they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's definitely the number one success factor. It actually is not people, right? A mediocre team with unbelievable timing will beat a phenomenal team with shitty timing every time uh, from a venture return perspective now, you know, not necessarily from an academic perspective. Mm-hmm. So, so. So we have to be careful, given that we're spending our investors' money, to understand that timing issue. And the timing on, you know, in terms of things like altcoins and some of the other assets we're adding, I think is very good, very, very good. I think there's demand globally for, for that. Um, even, even with the you know, depressed uh, kind of pricing in markets, that's, that's going to be cyclical over time. The yeah. you know, I will grow, it'll still be cyclical, and, and, and I think that'll be fine. Um, but like, sorry, long-winded answer, but, but again, we, we just need to be very cognizant of the timing of all these things. And we do a lot of homework. We talk to a lot of users and, and, uh, and now on the tech side, I'm very bullish on migrating some of our smart contract platform to continue to use Bitcoin as the asset, but maybe do some of the smart contracts in, in Ethereum. Uh, that's, not, that's something that we're not doing today and, and we are looking at for, for the future as well, which should add some scalability Uh, improve scalability to our platform.
0: Great. Um, I want to just switch topics a little bit. What I'd like to do is I'm curious because you have such a unique background and you have uh, an insight into the market that many other people don't. um, Obviously, um, as a researcher, I'm always looking for different opinions on the market and I have my own. I'm curious what your thoughts are for the current bear market where we're headed for 2019 into 2020 and with the Bitcoin halving, you know, do you have any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, um, look, in a, in a vacuum, if I, if I look what's happening with the price, there's no reason why it can't continue to fall. I mean, that's just the reality of you know, the market today. Now, I think from a macroeconomic perspective, go back to what I was talking about earlier on kind of crypto collateralizing these investment contracts. If ABRA is right, it may take one year, two year, three years, but at some point in that time frame, the price has to go up dramatically because ABRA is basically pumping Bitcoin into these contracts at an ever-increasing rate at 100% margin, meaning that if I want to buy Apple shares eventually using Bitcoin and I buy $100 worth of Apple shares, I have to put $100 worth of Bitcoin into that contract. And if I'm doing that for 100 million people, right? that's ten billion dollars I'm doing um, or hundred sorry hundred billion dollars it's a lot of money and certainly not enough Bitcoin to collateralize those contracts and so I think that's going to have a dramatic impact on the price of Bitcoin and potentially on the price of ether um, over time not in the next few weeks well so I, I do think that in the next few weeks um, and, and months I mean the crystal ball sales says there's no rhyme or reason outside of just normal market dynamics to say, hey, if institutional money is looking to come in, they may be waiting for a bottom or, or a capitulation that hasn't happened yet. I have no idea. I really don't. But longer term, I don't think that matters. Right. Uh, and, and so I'm very, very bullish on the long term. I've actually been buying myself. I don't tell people what to do with their own money, but, but I'm, I'm not buying because I think that there's any big chance that institutional money is going to come in in the next couple of months. I really don't care. What I care about is, is what is the utility of Bitcoin that is going to drive the price higher? And I think the biggest utility of Bitcoin that's going to drive the price higher are these derivative contracts that ABRA is creating that require Bitcoin for every single
0: contract. That's a great point. And one of the things that I always think about, too, is um, personally, I think that there will be countries settling oil purchases with Bitcoin. That's one of my thoughts. I think it's totally within the realm of of possibility within the next couple of years, especially with what Venezuela is doing with their petro currency. Uh, you know, that's I just see that happening. yeah, yeah. I I don't see any reason why. Um, what are your thoughts on some of the scaling uh, solutions? We've got Lightning Network, but also um, RSK adding uh, advanced um, smart contracts on top of the Bitcoin platform.
1: Yeah, I've always been very impressed with the RSK team and, with, and the ambition for what they're trying to do. I don't know. That's uh, a little bit of an academic perspective. I don't. From a business perspective, I'm not really sure yet what's going to happen there, um, given how easy it is to do a lot of those things in, in Solidity, for example. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but um, in, in terms of the scaling issues, I'm very bullish on uh, second layer technologies. Um, you know, what's the Casper and sharding? What's happening in Ether, as well as uh, Lightning and what's happening there and, and Plasma on the ether side as well. I, I think all that is fantastic and I'm so grateful to the open source community that is putting their own time and effort into those projects. Abra would be nowhere without them. So we're very grateful for their efforts. I do think that we, we need more on-chain uh, scaling in the Bitcoin world. I think the way we went about it, uh, obviously with the 2x debate from a year ago, obviously was not successful and, and probably not a fruitful approach in hindsight. But that doesn't mean that the uh, end game in what we was trying to accomplish was wrong. I actually am 100% convinced it it was right. And that even in a Lightning model, um, one megabyte blocks plus SegWit is simply not enough. Um, And something has to give. So at some point, the the broader community is going to, in my opinion, have to accept on-chain scaling to get this to work, um, which is a combination of Getting lightning to work and then having that settlement layer be able to support a larger number of settlement transactions. And that's fine Um, I think that the my gut tells me based on what I understand now if the Like in the case of Bitcoin core if that community is looking at this as we need more transactions to be able to settle via layer two on chain Even in the lightning model and as a result one megabyte plus segwit is not cutting it. Mm -hmm. then yes, I do Think that they will embrace um, some type of roadmap for increasing the block size, and so then you'll end up with a a, a happy happy medium between layer two and layer one. Um, I probably wouldn't do it in the order that it's happening in, but I'm just one person, and my opinion isn't that important. And it's it's going to happen either way at some point.
0: Great, that's that's I agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, either way, I think. Um in the next two to three years, we're gonna look back at this time and hopefully we'll be laughing at some of the things that were done and uh we'll have a better a better Bitcoin in two to three years. That's what I'm hoping for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um we'll well look, Bill, um how can people get a hold of you? How can people sign up? Uh do you wanna give us some shout outs on your social media?
1: Sure. Um, first of all, you can go to Abra.com from your smartphone or, or to download the app or just go to the App Store and search for Abra. Uh, it's a wildly popular app on, on both iOS and Android. Um, usually, it's it's one of the top finance apps, so it's pretty easy to find. But the Abra.com website is a fantastic blog site, a lot of educational materials. Uh, I'm on Twitter constantly talking to the community, on, uh, at Bill Barheit on on Twitter, uh, B-I-L-L-B-A-R-H-Y-D-T. Uh, very easy to find. Um, I'm, I'm pretty responsive there. Uh, and uh, if people want to reach out directly, they can always send me email, bill@abber.com. Uh But usually I'm, I'm more responsive on on Twitter um, uh, for most of these kinds of discussions.
0: Yeah. Great. Any uh, final points that you want to get through to our viewers?
1: First of all, thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed the discussion. I think uh, what you're doing is fantastic. And, um, you know, we'd love to see the feedback from, from the community on, on the discussion and, and even keep it going. Uh, Absolutely. Online. So, you know, really, really excited about the potential for, for doing that.
0: Great. Great. Sounds good. All right. We thank you, Bill, for your time and, uh, good luck with everything. And again, great product. Thank you. Very user friendly. Um, it, that, that's about it. That's all I could say. It, it's, if you, you can use it with your right hand. Okay. You you can be, yeah, that's it. And, and, uh, if you can use Venmo, you can use Abra. That's what I tell my, my friends.
1: That's it. And everybody can use Venmo, so everybody can use Abra.
0: <laughs> All right, great. Thank you for your time, Bill. Thank you. This is wonderful.
1: Thanks, everyone, for listening, too. Appreciate it.